Well, John, you will be uh, you'll be noticing that I am appearing older since we last talked because <laughs> in between this and our last episode, I I have aged by an extra year. So I'm not anticipating this will bring any additional wisdom to the podcast. But uh, but it's good to see you again. <laughs> yes, and you and happy birthday. I would break <laughs> out into happy birthday for you, but that might destroy all all possible <laughs> credibility that this podcast has. So I won't do that. But hey, happy birthday, my friend. Bless you. And uh, I hope you had a hope you had a good celebration. And I'm looking forward to to diving into temptation one with you today. Yeah, yeah. And so what what good what good fan of the Bible doesn't see reading about the temptations of Jesus as a birthday celebration worthy. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, and let's read this. It says, we'll jump straight into it. We know that Jesus has been led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Mm -hmm. It says in verse 3, Luke chapter 4, the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by Mm -hmm. bread alone. Wow. And and of course, we've, in our previous podcast, David, we've already established the whole hunger dynamic and the fact that this can't be coincidental at a physical level that the first temptation has to do with bread when Jesus is hungry. But of course, as as we've been leaning hard into, there's a sort of a surface reading of this and there's an under the surface reading of this. And this temptation's not really about bread, is it? It's not really about physical bread. There's something profoundly deeper going on here. Definitely. I think if we if we take this challenge and see it that the, the devil's just trying to coax out of Jesus some miraculous powers, I, I do think that we're we're sort of selling it short, aren't aren't we? I, I mean again for me kind of riffing off what we talked about in the previous episode, I think this is a connection. If you are the son of God, I think there's this sort of allusion back to the story of Israel, that they headed into the wilderness. How are we going to eat? How are we going to survive? Well, we survived because God fed us, uh, because God made bread miraculously appear. And this somehow proved to us ourselves that we were God's God's children. So I, I yeah. wonder, John, is there is that the question that Jesus in his humanity is raised, trained in the ways of Israel, trained in the scriptures of Israel? And so there's a logic that, well, if you are God's son, God will miraculously provide bread for you. So so come on then, get about it, Jesus. Let's let's prove who you really are. Mm-hmm. Because this is a there's a a Jewish scriptural logic that the children of yeah. God, the Son of God, are, have miraculous food. I, I think one of the things that's really helped me in understanding maybe under the surface of these temptations is is not to just simply look at what the devil asks of Jesus, but how Jesus responds. Mm-hmm. And and it's so, so forgive the pun, so like my own world, I tried to follow the breadcrumbs of that. And you go, mm-hmm. right, okay, and every of the of the three of the temptations, and we're going to take our time and look at all three of them. But in every one of the temptations, Jesus responds with Torah. In fact, he in his ministry, he quotes all five books of the Torah. He is a Torah mm-hmm. scholar, and he loves Moses, and he quotes Moses in all five of his books. 
But his favourite in terms of quotability bit of the Torah is Davrim, Deuteronomy, the words, the final words of Moses. And it's interesting, it's interesting for me that the, the, the book of Torah that Jesus quotes the most in Hebrew is called Words. <laughs> so I, I do love that. I, I, I love this idea that Moses downloads this incredible book in the month before he goes and and this becomes the 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 warrior text on which Jesus mm. now responds to the enemy. And of course, we're introduced immediately into a dynamic not only story in Torah, which is recorded for us in the book of Exodus mm. and in the journeys of the children of Israel in Bamidvar in the wilderness, but of course the allusion that Jesus himself makes to this from Deuteronomy chapter eight. Mm. And mm. and and a little a little encouragement to our, our listeners. I think every time you see the Tanakh, the Old Testament quoted in the New Testament, always take the time to go back to the original reference and mm. Many, many times, not exactly on every occasion, but many, many times, there are eye-opening insights. If you read mm. not just the actual text mm. that is being quoted, but the context of the text. Yes. And that is, and I think if you do that with each of these three temptations, you'll hear Jesus say something that isn't apparent in the actual temptation bit of the enemy i think there's mm. he responds even deeper than the enemy tests and yes. and i think which shows something uh, of his heart of his schooling of his of his love and remember again and our, our listeners will know this that but he, he's not carrying a bible around with them he is <laughs> quoting this from memory Yes. which shows he has memorized the text. And of course, there will be an interesting moment where him and, and the adversary, well, there's a, mis a massive misquote of the text from the adversary, whereas Jesus sticks unerringly accurately to the text from mm. memory, which again is a little, little challenge and encouragement to us all as far as the word of God is concerned. So, so Deuteronomy 8 becomes a loaded text for us because that's yeah. the bit that Jesus is quoting from when he says it is written. It's it's interesting. There's a let me just. I want to read a quote to you just quickly from um, this is from Richard Rohrbauer, who wrote an article on this passage of Luke chapter four that we're looking at today, and and he's thinking very much about how the, the sort of things you're talking about, like what's going on in this temptation, what's actually happening mm -hmm. here, and he sees so much of this this temptation is is again is not about Jesus' miraculous powers. But it's about this test to, are you yeah. God's son? We know what God does to his sons. We know what God does to his children. And so, and I'm, I, I, I just want to quote him directly because I love how he says this. He says, note how carefully Jesus answers when his lineage is questioned. If you are the son of God, Indeed. then turn this stones into bread. And so Rorberg spots this. Jesus does not answer <laughs> in his own words. <laughs> as if his honor derives from what he is in himself. To do that would be to grasp honor above that of his own father and turn honor into dishonor. And then Rorberg says this, he says, so Jesus answers like a loyal Middle Eastern son would always answer with something from his family tradition. Come on. He offers Come on. the words of his true father in Deuteronomy and by such laudable behavior, he gains honor as virtue. Jesus wins this round of the temptation hands down <laughs> fantastic
<laughs> Beautiful. So, so, and Beautiful. and I think what what I love about Roberg's doing there is that again he's helping us into the nuance of what does this sound like if you were reading the story as a first century uh, listener mm-hmm. and you'd be like, ooh, ooh, wait, wait a minute, did he did he just say that? And and you would see Jesus responds in such a way that makes that that has nuances to it that we might miss, and you know that Jesus wins. Because the devil moves on to another temptation. <laughs> yes, he, he, he can't. Yeah, okay. Whatever you said back there, that that silenced me. So I'm gonna have to come at you from another angle. And so I love that notion that Jesus quotes Torah as the word of God. Absolutely. <laughs> so as the words of his father. father. And even though we might go back to Deuteronomy eight and go, I think Moses is speaking at this particular point in Deuteronomy eight, mm. but Jesus is speaking about the perception of what scripture is and therefore mm. uses I'm going to sound like Karl Bart, the great Swiss theologian here, but here we essentially have the word of God, Jesus, according to John's gospel. We have the word of God quoting the word of God to to establish the word of God, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the word of God, Jesus it's, quotes the word of God scripture to establish the word of God, the father in advance of the devil's temptations. I mean, what a beautiful, yeah. what a beautiful image. Right? It's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. And again, the, the little, it is written is mm. not simply Jesus being clever. Oh, I know the Bible, mm. but he is going yes. back to the ultimate authority, which has been questioned by the adversary. The adversary has said, if you are the son of God, that wasn't simply a a questioning of his identity, but the word of the father that affirmed that identity. Yes. We established that really powerfully, I think, in our last podcast. So when Jesus then says it's written, he is going back to the very authority that has been questioned by the enemy. And, and, it, I mean, it's it's genius once you see it, and already now. So it looks like when this temptation starts, or this testing starts more accurately, when the testing starts, it looks like Jesus is vulnerable, and it looks like he's on the back foot. He's he's weakened. He's he's being bombarded for forty days. This is all going on with his opening response. It is written. Yes. He's now put the enemy on the back foot. So he he shows. Whatever you throw at me, I'm going to keep going back to the authority of the Word of God, and uh, and I think that is that is such a powerful idea for our for our listeners to grasp. That ultimately, can I say this carefully? The adversary is is really not afraid of my words, but the adversary is afraid of his words in me, and his words through me. And if we can hold on to his word in haaretz, as they would say, people of the word, then, then sorry, pe- people that, that lean into God, sorry, that, that was the wrong phrase, that we are we are people of the word, then that's such an important idea for us. And, and I want to just pick up on, you know what I keep saying, I feel like a dripping tap, John, but I keep saying like, we slow down, we need to slow down <laughs> when we read the text. It is written, Jesus says, right? And, and, and I think there's, you know, a very brief, brief Greek interlude. It is written is in the is in the perfect tense. It's a perfect mm. Greek tense uh, of this verb, right? I'm just I reached across to my old Greek grammar for a second there, John, just to to quote this well for all of us. But you know, a perfect tense verb it speaks of an event accomplished in the past with results existing afterwards 
in in in, in the t- tense that G- that Luke uses here or of Jesus, the perfect speaks of results existing in the present. Right. So mm-hmm. so think about that. Something which has happened in the past, the results yep. of which remain in the present. So so we translate this. It is written. That's actually a decent translation of this. If you were to almost try and translate it a little more fully. You notice Jesus is not saying it was written. That's something mm. that was written in the past that might not have effect today. But the mm. perfect is saying it has uh, been, been written and yeah. still stands written. Yeah. Humans shall not live on bread alone. So what Jesus Beautiful. is saying with his choice of grammar, with this little phrase, it is written, is it may have been written in the past, but it's still true now. This is yeah. this is not changed devil. <laughs> this is not, mm-hmm. this was the rule, that, you know, and rule's the wrong term, but this was the statement and the statement is still true. And maybe I'm hanging, I, I love the grammar of the New Testament, John, so I have a tendency sometimes to try and turn grammatical moments into sermons, but I think there's something significant that's worth pausing in a slow read mm-hmm. of the text to just note that Jesus is not saying it's written down somewhere. He's yeah. making a statement about the permanence of the Indeed. word of God that is scripture. Absolutely. Permanence and power, its authority in this particular context. And it has been written. So it's it's magnificent. And But of course, David, and some of our, our listeners will have spotted this, though Jesus quotes a reference from Deuteronomy. He doesn't fully quote it, does he? No. Uh, we, we've no. only actually got part of, of the quote. Is there is there a reason reason Jesus does that? Is is there an explanation for that for us in, in, in the context of even his culture? Or is is that just is that just coincidental? I, I have a tendency to think that a lot of Jesus' interactions and even his interaction here with the Satan or the devil or the adversary, you know, all of these languages that's used of this, of this character that appears in scripture as, as the, yeah, as the devil, it, it looks like rabbinic conversation almost mm. at some level. And, and so one of the ways that you would do conversation in, and, and you can, you can pick up a copy of the Mishnah or, or, or many of the rabbinic arguments. And I have to be honest, John, I love reading rabbinic arguments. I, I love the way that the, the Pharisees and the rabbis approach the centrality of the text. And I get very frustrated by the way that we sometimes talk about the Pharisees, and even by the way I talk about the Pharisees, because we meet them in the New Testament often as as the sort of other adversaries of Jesus, don't we? So there's a temptation to think of them as the bad guys. But they were the ones that were committed to scripture. They were the ones that were committed to, mm. to, and Jesus was coming along with a pretty radical reading of scripture. But but how you argue as, as a rabbi um, is to, you present a scripture, I present a scripture in response, and we keep going back and forward until we realize, yes, we figured out what this text means in the wider context of scripture. But it's quite yes. common that what rabbis will do, if, if you were not skilled in Torah, you might sit and listen to a rabbi and think, I have no idea what these these boys yeah. are talking about because one of them just said a verse and the other one responded with a verse, but I can't see how the verse he responded with had anything to do with what the guy said in the first place. And, and this is because what was a little rabbinic trick sometimes was to only quote half of the verse, not mm. as a way of trying to misquote the verse, but remember all rabbis have memorized this text. So I give you half the verse 
And if I was to say too, if I was to say, oh, I once was lost, many Christians mm-hmm. that have been schooled in the long tradition <laughs> of the church would go, would almost without even thinking in their head would form, yeah. but now I'm found. Right? Yeah. That would that would that would just be there. If you're in a more traditional church, somebody will read scripture and at the end they might say the word of the Lord, and without thinking, you'll find yourself saying, Thanks be to God. <laughs> it, yes. it's, it's it's so well, it's there. And the rabbis would yeah. do that as a, almost a way of continuing to test each other. And so the half quote, and this goes back to your point, go and read the quote in its original context, because it's sometimes possible that the quote isn't just the words being used. Jesus says at one point, the poor you will always have amongst you. And and there's a temptation for some to take that quote by Jesus and go, ah, well, we're always going to have poor people. I think what Jesus is saying, there's no point trying to do anything about that. But he's alluding to a fuller text in Deuteronomy, which reads, the poor you will always have amongst you, so live with an open hand. Be Indeed. be generous yeah. to the poor. And, and and if you don't understand the rabbinic argument, you can actually do quite a lot of damage to what Jesus is Indeed. really getting at. So I think it's worth coming back to this particular text and looking at Deuteronomy and your copy of the, the, the NIV or whatever version of the English Bible you're reading from probably gives you a footnote. I don't know about yours. Mine has a footnote, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. It's pointing you, saying, hey, by the way, this what Jesus has just said, it comes from over there. I think if you're doing a Bible study, take the time, go and look at it, and and see, see what's being said. One does not yep. live by bread alone, dot, dot, dot. And what do you get instead? <laughs> mm, yeah. And and if, if you, we, we did this in our last episode, we read some of the section of mm. what we call Deuteronomy 8. And it's it's just beautiful. Like mm. the, the, the chapter begins, mm. all the commands which I command you this day, you shall observe to do so that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your father. So there's a, there's a purpose context here. That this, this is a people going somewhere. And then it says, and John, just just as an aside, as we move the the this episode into a study of Deuteronomy, which I love, <laughs> just as an aside, pay attention to this. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live. Right? Mm. I just I, I would love for us to just pause sometimes and think when we think about the commands of God in the Old Testament, what is the purpose of them? And mm. so often we think about commands, law, rule, we think about them pejoratively, we think about them negatively. Do this, or God will do this, do this, or God will make this bad thing happen. Here we have, from the text of Scripture itself, why does God want them to follow this command? So that they can live, Live. be fruitful, and enter into God's promises. Like, And and this is a Jewish take towards the law. Well, God gives us this because he loves us and wants us to flourish. There's a, there's a modern approach, a very modern Western approach to law, which is this is restrictive, this is this is uh, reductive, and this is imposition, and and that's not the way to read the law about the Old Testament, is it? And, and, sure. and you see it beautifully here. Yeah, and and I think even I think sometimes leaning back to uh, original Hebrew ideas of the Old Testament help with that because when mm. you when you think of Torah, I think. New Testament people tend to think of that language as as the law, mm-hmm. but Torah in in a, in a beautiful nuance of translation would mean instruction. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. there's suddenly a different feel to that. This is an instruction yes. about 
taking you somewhere. It's an instruction about growing you somewhere. I I try to meditate on some element of the Proverbs every Mm. day. And you've got this wisdom, understanding, knowledge combo. And Mm. it's all about wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. It's all about helping us to build something that literally looks like a dynamic embodiment of Torah. It's a dynamic, everyday, practical embodiment of what this incredible instruction looks like. Mm. Mm. And I, I love I So in my personal translation, I tend to think of Torah as instruction rather than law. I think law, law, because of the way that word has been used and I would suggest abused, I think tends to send us down the wrong direction mm. on this. And I think Jesus would have seen this as instruction rather than rather than the, the language of of law, if that's helpful i don't know if it is or not but but mm. again re- remember we're quoting from deuteronomy which in hebrew is mm. davrim is words yes so we're we're, we're moving from bamidvar wilderness into words because mm. in order to move from wilderness into promise into the promised land we've got to imbibe words mm-hmm. so if you look at if you look at the trajectory of the torah you you've got you've got bereshit as the as the beginning the genesis mm. beginning you've got uh, Shemot, the names, this this nation called out. The first time Israel are called as a nation, mm. they're named by Pharaoh as a nation, actually. First mm. time they're called an Am is is by Pharaoh. And and then you, you move into Leviticus, Vayikra, this call of God to worship, worship at the center mm. of the Torah, the central book of the five. And it's no coincidence that worship, intimacy, the aroma that pleases God is the central book of the five books. And then you've got this wilderness bar midvah experience um, that we call numbers. But yeah. in between numbers, wilderness bar midvah and the, the entering the land of promise in Joshua, you've got words. Mm. And and I would just say to our, our listeners again that in order to enter into the fullness of all the Lord has for us in terms of his purpose, we must embrace the words. The, the, the words take us from wilderness to promise. The words take us from wilderness to to entry into the fullness of what God has for us. And I think this opening verse in Deuteronomy chapter 8 absolutely grabs that idea that the whole commandment that I command you today, if you do it, you'll live, you'll multiply, you'll go in. So so what's the, what's the, the energy on which we go in? On his command, his words. It's his words that get us in. And now we fast forward to Jesus and it's the word that is being questioned. It's the words that are being, because if the word can be disrupted, destroyed, then then the purpose for which that word is shaped mm-hmm. is also destroyed. And Jesus, yeah. there's a promised land, as it were, that Jesus is going to. And and this is this is now up for grabs within that yeah. word. So so I, I I'm I'm quite excited about the big picture trajectory of Torah, mm. but mm. also how Jesus literally is imbibing that trajectory. He yeah. is he is moving from wilderness through the word to promise. And I think I think we've got that there as well. I don't know if that makes sense, but it certainly connects dots for me. And then it says this in in verse two. And you remember the whole way that the Lord our God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger uh, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that you that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. And then here's the quote that's in its fullest sense, 
but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So good. So, so when Jesus quotes that, when Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8, he's actually referring back to the words that have come out of the, the mouth of God. Mm-hmm. And the word that's come out of the mouth of God in the immediate context of Luke is, you are my son. I love you. With you, I'm well pleased. And of course, the greater context is the the body of Tanakh, the body of scripture that Jesus would have been schooled in and taught in. And, and Jesus Jesus is then, then affirming those words and using those words as his mm. authority to sidestep this particular mm. challenge of turning stone to bread. He doesn't need to turn stone to bread because he's living out of the word of God. And of course, there's a beautiful little thought there that in the wilderness, the manna, they eat of something they did not know. It was something that came uniquely from God himself. Yes. yes. And they fed from the hand of God. And I, you cannot help but see the sort of reflection of the word of God itself. It comes to us as mm. something we do not know. It comes from the hand of the Father. And when mm. we feed of it, it transforms our lives. And it's interesting that just thinking in parallels for a second in Mark's gospel, where you get you don't get all the detail. You just know that Jesus was tempted. But there's this little line in Mark's gospel about at the end, the angels came and ministered to Jesus. Mm. They came and served him. And there's almost this little nuance in Mark that that Jesus goes through this temptation, and then and God does look after him. God does. Mm feed him in that in that way but but no i i think this this whole text is really interesting and you can kind of keep reading reading on if you want to because deuteronomy goes on about your clothes didn't wear out and then and i think verse five is interesting know then in your heart that as 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 a man disciplines his son so the lord your god disciplines you and again the word discipline Mm -hmm. so much negative connotation to it here but this is about God directing and focusing and, and leading you in the, in, the, in the right way. So observe yes. the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him, which is like the whole idea. The, the Hebrew there is, is, is halak, the halakha, the, yeah. the walk, the path of discipleship yeah. for, for, the, for the Jewish uh, thinker. It's, it's about the path and the way that we go. And then Deuteronomy 8 just just opens up into this beautiful vision of what the way of God leads us to. Um, mm. And 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 then it says this, it's interesting, because he starts to paint this picture and it's this beautiful, beautiful land that God is leading us to. But Rin reminds the people, eat, be satisfied, but praise the Lord and do not forget that he has mm. brought you here. Otherwise, and I think about this as a lesson, otherwise when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. And again, yes. the human problem. In verse 17, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. So you see, I think you see Jesus living deeply in Deuteronomy 8 here. I am not doing this with the strength. I don't even respond with my own words. I respond Mm. to the words of my father because not forgetting the Lord 
is is the path of of the children of God. And to me, John, this the, the significance of this just draws its way right back into our present day that Jesus is also giving us, I think, just a very simple strategy of how we navigate temptations and choices in our own lives. <laughs> it's like if Jesus himself's approach to dealing with these things is, but what does the scripture guide me towards? What is scripture mm. drawing me towards? And let me speak from there. I mean, I, I, I doubt that I have to sell you on, <laughs> on this, but that just seems a, a really good model for how to make decisions, deal with challenges, think our way through things. Oh, uh, I mean, sure. I, I get really excited by that. For sure, and and at a very practical level, and we don't we don't want to go somewhere where we don't need to go. But at a very practical level, that's why, as a follower of Jesus, trying to help other followers of Jesus, I encourage us to lean into the scriptures, if we can, if we can mm. do it, even on a daily basis, and to make room to quote to quote Paul to Timothy to make room for a book that has the breath of God in it that mm. that that has been God breathed yes and if you think about if you think about this illusion of manna coming from heaven if you think about this it is written or this has been written and still relevant this idea of torah being light and life to us and Jesus, in fact, being the embodiment of all of that, then, then word becomes incredibly important to us. Mm. If we are to, to quote Deuteronomy, live well, mm. <laughs> multiply, and possess. Yeah. yeah. So, so we we can't if if these ideas of word were relevant to our first parents and by not holding to that word they lost paradise mm. now mm. fast forward you've got god's firstborn son about to enter the land of promise and moses is saying now you're not going to be able to do it without the commands without the word mm. of god mm. and then we fast forward now to jesus if you are the son of god and how does jesus respond as he's about to enter the land of promise of his own purpose it's mm. written it this is an undeniable pattern that mm. and, and sometimes one of the things that saddens me david and it, again we don't want to get too sort of preachy but one of the things that saddens me is often beautiful followers of jesus reject a sort of a habitual reading of the bible or a mm. consistent reading of the bible as a sort of a religious exercise well i don't want to get too religious and i i challenge people with that. well i i have a shower every day no one ever says that's very religious to be showering every day or i have my breakfast every day that's not a that that's just a sensible thing to do mm. and i would i would really urge all our listeners to lean into and be open to a love for the word of god because ultimately it's his words it's mm. his word that's going to help us live, multiply and possess. Uh, and it's his words that help us uh, accomplish. And, uh, and, and mm. I know like you, every, every day I open up the Bible and one of the prayers I pray is, uh, Holy Spirit, open my eyes, a quote from, from the Psalms, open my eyes mm. and I may see wonderful things in your law. Mm. Um, mm. And, and one, of my favorite, one of my favorite Hebrew texts is, the law of the Lord is perfect. Mm. reviving the soul, restoring the soul. Mm. Torah Adonai Timima. 
Mishifat Nafesh. It's it's that sense of his law is complete. His mm. instruction is enough. And yeah. it restores and revives the soul. And I it's just one of my favorite texts in Tanakh that I think captures the essence of what Jesus is grabbing at here when he says, it is mm. written, or it has been written. Mm-hmm. And, and and we should pay attention to that, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, the promotion of the idea of scripture into food is mm. is is just a beautiful image, isn't it? Because it does, like you say, I mean, I, I resonate with so much. I think we have a fear of religiosity that is so often ill-founded. And actually, it's ill-founded because of our own behavior to it. So you take, I've been reflecting a lot recently on the Lord's Prayer, and we've been recording some stuff at my church around that, thinking about it. And you can say the Lord's Prayer. I mean, if you grew up in a in a Christian school, or I, for a brief period, went to a Church of England school, and the Lord's Prayer was said regularly, and and you can say it unthinkingly, and you can say it without without really thinking about it, and it becomes just wrote words but that's our choice that's not the words problem that's the problem of how I, it is possible to to eat the same breakfast the same lunch and the same and the same dinner every single day of your life and you'll just about get by but it's not it's not what i'd call good living you know mm-hmm. so 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 you know thinking about how to how to engage in the text and learn to love the text in the same way as I might sit down and think, what could I do with food tonight? And how could I, how could I enjoy it? And how could I engage in it? There's a, a, the metaphor of, of the word of God as, as food and, and to start to think about it as how we think about food. And even going back, Jesus is entering into this fasted, as we talked about in the previous episode. Do I, do I think about scripture in the same way as I think about food when it comes to not having food, right? So I always joke with a friend of mine that we we fasted together for a while once and we would meet up together to to pray. And we said, let's pray while we're fasting because this, so this would be good to utilize the time in prayer together. And we laughed about the fact that every time we met up to pray, we spent a good chunk of our time together talking about food. And I remember one day we're in this fast and we're walking along outside and the subject of conversation was favorite meals we've ever had. <laughs> and eventually one of us is like, maybe this is not what we should be talking about while we're trying to fast. But then I found this moment of almost revelation, John, that oh, maybe that's the point that I've not mm. eaten for a few days. And what I want to talk about is food. Yeah. But, you know, and I don't say this to generate guilt. I, I say it to generate a question. But if I don't pray for a few days, or if I don't read scripture for a few days, do I have the same yearning to, you know, oh goodness, I've not read the Bible for a few days. Let's talk about my favorite verses in the Bible. Let's, And I almost this sense of fasting draws us to think about what the source of our life is. So there's something in what Deuteronomy is saying. You don't live by bread alone. You, you genuinely mm. don't. This, the, but we can easily forget that. We can easily sure. uh, ignore that, not out of an intentional ignorance, but just almost a, a missing of the beauty of, of what it is to think about Scripture. And of course, properly understood, Scripture is that which points us towards Jesus. So there's... Mm. 
there's deep relational connections at a very spiritual level in this that that I think sure. are 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 so much are so enlightening to explore. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and many of us many of us love the Psalms because they 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 help us frame aspects of our confession or even explain sometimes mm. the ups and downs of our experience. But you, you know, the Psalms mm. open with this dynamic sort of expression of of this blessed man we're mm. we're introduced to. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel mm. of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the Torah of the Lord. Mm. And on that Torah, he meditates day and night. And, and then here's what it says. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither and all he does prospers. Mm. And the wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind blows away. So again, you have this incredible link to delighting in Torah, delighting in the instruction of God, not just not just putting up with it, mm. but embracing it, ingesting it, uh, mm. digesting it, swallowing it, allowing it to become absolutely part of who you are. And, and what's mm. the result of that? You're like a tree. Planted yes. uh, a green tree, a prosperous tree, a tree that doesn't succumb to the drought all around it, but mm. but prevails. And and of course, as some of our listeners will know, Psalm one hundred and nineteen, my goodness, one hundred and seventy six verses. <laughs> and the I think I think I worked it out, David, and I I hope I'm not wrong in this, but I I went literally through every word in the Hebrew text and tried to work it out, and I. I think there were only six six verses that didn't have a direct or indirect reference to the Word of God in one shape or form. Mm. Mm. And of course, you get you get that great psalm uh, broken down in in the letters of the Hebrew Bible, literally eight verse stanzas that that mm. every every one of those verses has the same alphabetical letter at the beginning of each. It's it's just mm. it's a memorization um, playbook. If you mm-hmm. want to memorize a text, they okay. The first eight verses all begin with Aleph. The next all the next mm. eight verses all begin with Bet. The next and and on and on we go right through. And the whole there's this this sense that the the Hebrew alphabet becomes then becomes then this completeness, this celebration, this beginning and end. Mm. And what's the beginning and end? It's the Word of God. It's the the very mm. central idea to it is the Word of God, and it sits centrally in the text of Psalms mm. and it speaks to us. And and as followers of Jesus in the 21st century, when so many things are coming under pressure, we must have the courage to lean into his words, mm. his words, mm. because his words bring life. His words mm. help us multiply and his words lead us to promise. And mm. it, when Jesus said, it has been written, that's not just him being a clever rabbi. That is him mm. expressing a heart that has completely digested and and consumed the mm. words of the Father and and expresses them in this moment of testing. Not to, to to try and turn this into a sermon, but the idea of this for the shaping of our own lives, I think, is really really significant. I was I was listening to a podcast by the Pentecostal scholar Chris Green just recently, and he was talking about about prayer. 
And he was talking about the use of scripture in our devotional life and our prayer life, right? And there's this pressure upon us so often to, to pray and be creative in our prayers. Okay, so I have mm-hmm. to sit down and pray to God. And I have to come up with my own prayer. It has to be my own words. And then the net result of that is, and I feel this, I really felt this as somebody that grew up in, a, in, in what you might call a sort of non-liturgical church. So all mm-hmm. of our prayers were made up by us. Yes. And and we talked about this as freedom. And we would say, oh, we just don't pray prayers from a book. We have we have our own prayers that we make up. But actually what happened in our real real lived experience was we didn't pray. If you didn't feel creative, you didn't pray. So we prayed less, even though we felt confident that our prayers were better. Mm-hmm. And so and so Chris Green says we need to think about prayer differently. And we need to think that sometimes, that where is what are the prayers of Israel? Where they're there in the Psalms? These are the prayers mm-hmm. of these people. Pray these words. And he, he says, he says, we we live. And I love this metaphor. He said, we live on borrowed breath, and we yeah. pray borrowed prayers. Right. And, and 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 in the in the praying of these borrowed prayers, we learn how to pray. <laughs> we learn. Like I I would say it like this. You know. If you're ever, ever not sure what to pray, or or let me say it better, if you're ever not sure if you can pray something that's in your heart, go read Psalm 88. (laughs) Mm. When the psalmist says, God, I think you've left me alone. (laughs) And and, and you think, can I say that to God? But then what, what, what then Chris Green does in his podcast is he jumps over to this piece by Carl Rahner from from many years ago. And and he says this, John, and I just looked it up again because I want to read this because I think it's beautiful to just really, we're in a podcast here talking about how Jesus uses the word of scripture at his moment of temptation. And and I would say, why does Jesus use that word of scripture at his moment of temptation? There's many reasons and we've discussed them all really well, I think. It's the word of God. This is a good strategy. But ultimately, it's because Jesus is rooted in scripture. He, he has marinated himself in it through his whole life so that when you poke him, scripture comes out, right? That You get temptation by the devil. Oh, here's some scripture. And, and I'm not irreverent about Jesus here, but, but no. Carl Rahner spots this. Uh, he, he does, he does this thing where he's, he's talking about, he's talking about Jesus in prayer and, and Rahner comes to Jesus on the cross, right? He says, and Jesus is, this is the worst devastating moment of Jesus. human existence. He's on the cross and he is he is dealing with all sorts of things that we can only imagine. But Rahner gets interested in not, and, and Jesus prays on the cross, which is not surprising to us, but Rahner gets interested in, in what it is that Jesus prays. And, and so let me read from him. He says this, to express your anguish. He, he, Rahner writes this almost as if it's a prayer to Jesus himself. He says, to express your anguish to utter the prayer of your total abandonment, you began to say the 22nd Psalm. For your words were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the first verse of this ancient lamentation, which your Holy Spirit himself once put into the heart and upon the lips of a holy man of the Old Testament to express his anguish. And so, Rana says, and so if I dare speak this way, the only prayer that you wanted to say during this most bitter agony was one that had been prayed thousands and thousands of years ago. And in those words, you were able to say everything that had to be said. 
And then he ends his little comment with this, teach me to pray in the words of your church in such a way that they become the words of my own heart. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure you like that, but <laughs> like, I thought that was phenomenal. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I think your point that Jesus quotes the scriptures because he is marinated and saturated in them. I think that is the key. And, and, and I would just urge our listeners, don't, don't be lazy on this. Don't simply think, well, Jesus, of course, Jesus quotes the Bible. He's God. But, but remember, Dr. Luke's helping us really lean into the humanity of Jesus. I think give Jesus credit around a human who saturates himself in the scriptures, mm. a human who memorizes the law, even though he wrote it, mm. a, a human who who does take time to reflect and yeah. meditate and has these, and even in a moment of agony on the cross, he reaches for a memorized text. Mm. It's incredible, isn't it? And mm. I, I quoted I quoted from Psalm 19 earlier on, the, the law of the Lord, the Torah of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And it finishes with these beautiful words, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my mm. redeemer. Never and it's that it. sense of, of the liveness Mm. Isn't it? These these aren't just words. That that psalm begins with the declaration of the glory of God in the heavens, and it finishes mm. with, "Now, Lord, let your glory be seen in my mm. words and my meditations. Uh, let let that glory be seen now in the liveness of my life. Mm. That this great Torah, that is like the explosion of God's creative order in the heavens, that this great word would live in me. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would mm. please you." Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And ultimately, if Jesus teaches us anything, is that the, the liveness of the word of God, that it mm. can live in us, it can live mm. through us, and it can enable us to live a life that ultimately glorifies him and mm. establishes his purpose.